The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very good morning and welcome to Squawk Box. We are live in Westminster and Brussels and here are your headlines. The pound jumps as UK Prime Minister Theresa May and European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker agree legally binding changes to Britain's Brexit deal. That ahead of a crucial vote for the government in the House of Commons later today. MPs were clear that legal changes were needed to the backstop. Today we have secured legal changes. Now is the time to come together to back this improved Brexit deal and to deliver on the instruction of the British people. There is a reaction in markets. Asian stocks rally amid Brexit hopes, but Jean-Claude Juncker warns UK lawmakers it's this deal or nothing. There will be no further interpretation of the interpretations and no further assurances on the reassurances. In the US, stocks rally overnight as strong gains in tech stocks offset a drop in Boeing as the jet maker says it will upgrade software in its 737 MAX 8 fleet. And the Federal Aviation Administration says the planes are still airworthy. German Finance Minister Olaf Scholz confirms the country's two largest lenders, Deutsche Bank and Commerce Bank, are exploring merger talks. The U.S. warns Germany it will limit intelligence sharing if Berlin uses Huawei equipment in the rollout of the country's 5G network. So welcome to the programme this morning. UK Prime Minister Theresa May has called for MPs to come together after securing, quote, legally binding changes to her Brexit deal. But during a late night press conference in Strasbourg, the EU Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker warned that there would be no further chances to pass an agreement if lawmakers reject this deal. So how are the markets behaving around this news? To Karen at the wall. Jeff, thank you. The Strasbourg news has put a bit in the market. For sterling, we have seen an escalation, particularly in sterling dollar, 132.05, the level we're trading at. We were around that 130 handles we started out the week. So the two-day gains now up 1.5% for the pound. A very strong showing ahead of a key vote in Westminster today, four tenths of a percent higher. Euro also falling to sterling, so sterling gaining versus the European currency. About a third of a percent lower the euro is to sterling. Sterling yen, don't forget as we have seen appetite for risk on assets in the past 24 hours, yen as a, safe, a safety trade has been losing some of its appeal. So sterling also gaining to that currency, half of a percent and to the Swissy just over four tenths. So very firm right across the board against a number of pairs and crosses. Let's take you to the Asian markets. I want to show you the trade for that region. We did have a, a firmer handover from Wall Street yesterday, and many of these markets picking up on that action. The Shanghai Composite, 1.2% firmer, 1 plus percent firmer for Hong Kong, and about 1.8% bounce in the Nikkei 225 
on some of the weakness in the Japanese yen supporting the Tokyo stock market, 378. But uh, the general interpretation around Brexit is that if we do get to some form of a deal, it may remove one of those key risks out there. There's clearly still others there that investors are stewing about around trade and global growth. However, if Brexit were removed, it would be positive for some of the sentiment on markets. Some of that is just starting to feed through. Let's get to the opening calls here in Europe to see the early interpretation. We're chasing triple digit gains for the Italian market, 137 points. Firmer two for the French market, 27. You've got 79 on the Zetradax, which is not a bad showing early on, but just a slim seven-point game on the FTSE 100, which is quite curious because some of the early analysis has suggested that if we do get a resolution, if there's positive news around Brexit, it will be positive for the pound, but also for the FTSE, defying expectations where you see that negative correlation. If the pound bounces, then FTSE falls. So some are looking for both asset classes to move in lockstep higher this morning. It looks like FTSE is trapped in a range by comparison. Jeff. Karen, thank you. Uh, well, let's pick up on our Brexit coverage for you. Steve is in Westminster and Sylvia is in Brussels. But let's start, Steve, with you here. So I saw David Liddington, the Cabinet Office Minister, saying that this is a legally binding adjustment now to the backstop. But do we still have to wait and hear from the Attorney General, Geoffrey Cox, on this before we know how legally binding this actually is? Well, that's a really great question, actually, Jeff, because a lot of people will want to hear. And, of course, uh, Arlene Foster from the Ulster Unionists and, of course, the uh, ERG from the hard Brexit arm of the Tories, who, between them, voted down so ignominiously the original Brexit deal on January the 15th, where the Prime Minister went down to a world-record British defeat in Parliament. I mean, 432 votes to 202, 230-vote uh, defeat, which was, again, the biggest in modern British history as well. Um, so... 24 hours ago, we had pretty much uh, Keir Starmer saying we've had eight weeks of ignominious failure where the Prime Minister had failed to renegotiate anything. And of course, Jeremy Corbyn, his boss, came out yesterday and said, no, we're still voting against this, regardless of what you think you have and haven't got. But back to your Geoffrey Cox point, absolutely, Jeff, as well. The legal guarantee surrounding the backstop has been, as all our viewers know by now, the absolutely key sticking point. Not uh, European uh, citizens' rights uh, in UK and British citizens' rights in Europe, not the financial deals, well, not a whole host of others in this enormous text. It was all about the backstop, and that's, of course, uh, partly because the Prime Minister has such a slim majority and having to rely uh, on the Ulster Unionists as well. So, yes, we're going to wait for what Geoffrey Cox says today, but it seems almost inconceivable, doesn't it, that he's not going to change his advice that we would have to endure indefinitely the backstop in his previous uh, legal opinion as well, uh, given the fact what Mr Liddington's already said and given what Mrs May has already said. But let's listen to Mrs May first, and I'll just go through the three things that she thinks she's achieved last night once you've heard from the UK Prime Minister. Having an insurance policy to guarantee that there will never be a hard border in Northern Ireland is absolutely right. It honours the UK's solemn commitments in the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. But if we ever have to use that insurance policy, it cannot become a permanent arrangement and it is not the template for our future relationship. The deal that MPs voted on in January was not strong enough in making that clear and legally binding changes were needed to set that right. Today, we have agreed them. 
So without wishing to turn our viewers off too much on the Brexit, let's just see what she's got. One, this is the legally binding bit, which will go alongside at the UN in Geneva, uh, the original document as well. A joint interpretive instrument uh, stating the EU could not deliberately seek to keep the UK uh, in a backstop by failing to renegotiate in good faith a new trade deal uh, agreed with the UK. If it did, the UK could seek arbitration and exit from the agreement too. And this is about technological solutions that you and I have talked a lot about, actually, Jeff, over the years almost now, commit both sides to developing new technology to place the backstop by hopefully December uh, 2020. Uh, and the third part, which apparently Leo Varadkar had a bit of an issue with last night, but it's a UK only declaration that there is nothing to stop the UK launching a procedure to get out of the backstop should the EU not act in good faith as well. Uh, and this has some legal binding as well, uh, according to some uh, international experts in the copy I've been looking at this morning. But I think the key players in the early part of the day has got to be one, as you mentioned, Jeffrey Cox, and two, uh, as I mentioned, Arlene Foster, because, and I saw a great quote, and I forget which paper I read this in, so apologies to the various copies I read, that the Brexiteers can't uh, out-union the unionists, i.e. if Arlene Foster and the DUP say, yeah, OK, we're confident this is enough for us, how can the ERG turn around then and say, oh, no, it's not good enough, it doesn't safeguard the union enough? Now, that's the bullish scenario that if they all came on board and Mrs May gets it over the line today. There is another scenario, which I've seen again in copy, that she'll get some of the votes back uh, in the key vote this evening, in the meaningful vote this evening, but she won't get over the line. So will that still trigger the votes we're going to see tomorrow and on Thursday, which are in, in consequence, one, uh, a no deal vote as well, which is trying to take that off the table, uh, and three, uh, or two, depending on which vote you look at it, <laughs> which is an extension. Now, extensions become a real problematic issue, and I'm sure Sylvia will go into this in a bit more detail, but safe to say, if the extension to Article 50 goes beyond the 23rd to the 26th of May, when we have the European parliamentary election, then we run into all kind of uh, legalistic problems as well because it, it basically why would the British still be in the EU without parliamentary representation as well and that becomes a whole legal minefield as well so from the EU's point of view and as you say Juncker said there's no third chance on this one they really want to get this wrapped up one way or other by those European parliamentary elections back to you and Steve you've got some uh, some interesting guests coming up for us later on in the programme Yes, I have. And I forgot to tease it. So thank you for helping me, Jeffrey. So I've got the chairman uh, of the Financial Select Committee. I've got Nikki Morgan, who basically is, um, she's a Tory. She's the MP for Loughborough. Uh, she very interestingly said, look, Mrs. May is looking very, very uh, tricky in her position if indeed she doesn't get this over the line as well. Uh, and of course, a lot of the hard Brexiteers have been saying as well. So does Nikki Morgan think uh, that she's done enough, that Mrs. May's done enough as well? We'll hear from her uh, this morning coming up in the next hour of the programme. And then I think actually brilliant that we've got Sammy Wilson who is the MP for Antrim East he's coming up he is with uh, the DUP of course as well and so it'd be fascinating to see uh, whether he believes and whether we can get him to say yes I believe that this is enough to get Mrs May and get the deal over line and get those key 10 unionists uh, votes uh, onto Mrs May's side as well that will be absolutely key interview that's coming up uh, at around 8.15 London time back to you we're looking forward to that Steve thanks very much well Brexit's also set to dominate the agenda as European finance ministers gather for the Ecofin summit today that's after the European Commission president Jean-Claude Juncker said he hoped the meaningful assurances would be, quote, meaningful enough. Let's get out to Sylvia for more from Brussels. Sylvia, I thought it was fascinating just as we saw an argument over the weekend from the CDU chief, AKK, uh, basically Angela Merkel's heir apparent, calling for the removal of that French seat in Strasbourg for it to be abolished for the European Parliament seat. We certainly see Strasbourg back in the, the headlights. But today it is all about Brussels. And tell us about whether any other topic will make it 
onto the agenda there other than Brexit? Well, really, the focus here is on Brexit, on Brexit, I'm afraid. Everyone is really waiting to know whether the UK lawmakers will actually approve this deal. But let's look into more detail at what was said last night by the Europeans. The European Commission made further reassurances regarding the Irish backstop. However, if you look at the substance, if you look at the content, they are not really new. So the European Union has not changed its stance and it's important important to have that in mind. However, they did say they did reiterate their position and that is, of course, they will act in good faith and that they will do their utmost to prevent having to trigger the Irish backstop. And of course, those commitments and uh, those comments that were made last night have some legal value. So the Europeans here in Brussels and in Strasbourg across the 27 European countries are hoping that that legal um, value that was uh, referred to last night will be enough to convince UK lawmakers later today. But it's important to bear in mind, as we've mentioned earlier before, that the Europeans, this is it for the Europeans, this was their final proposal. Let's listen in as to what the President of the European Commission, Jean-Claude Juncker, had to say about it last night. In politics, sometimes you, you get a second chance. It is what we do with the second chance that counts because there will be no third chance. There will be no further interpretation of the interpretations and no further assurances on the reassurances. So the president of the European Commission there, Jean-Claude Juncker, making it very clear that this is their final proposal. And of course, because we're also running out of time, we're only two weeks away from the scheduled departure. It's also important to bear in mind that there's a certain level of anxiety among the European institutions, because let's recall what happened back in 2016 when David Cameron was still prime minister. He tried to renegotiate the UK's membership of the EU. He got a massive concession from the European Union back then to actually put an emergency break on benefits that EU migrants were receiving. That was a massive concession for countries like Poland, like Czech Republic. And the prime minister then, David Cameron, promised that that was going to be enough to convince the UK voters to remain in the EU. And that was not the case. So there's a certain level of anxiety among the European institutions that that's going to happen again later today. But of course, let's wait for that vote in the House of Commons. Sylvia, thank you very much indeed for that. We'll, uh, we'll wrap up with you and leave you there. Um, I'm sorry, I, I, I know Sylvia says that this was in the spirit of the previous uh, arrangements that the EU was prepared to make. But having said they will not move and being implacable on that mm. issue of you have the deal you have, mm. they have moved. They this it. is a movement. Mm -hmm. If you offer a concession that says the UK will not be trapped indefinitely into an arrangement, on the uh, Northern Irish backstop. I'm sorry, that's a movement. Yeah, they've gone that back, is back over a... that paperwork, haven't they? Absolutely, mm. absolutely. Which is interesting because I wonder if that will then embolden some of those Brexiteers in Parliament to think that, well, they've moved this time, they have blinked, maybe if we keep pushing this and get closer to the deadline, which, goodness, for goodness sake, is not far away, we might get further concessions. Don't you think time's up there? I mean, there's no, not much time to put any flesh on the bones around an agreement or an exit at this point, and we've got three big votes in Parliament now. It would seem like this is the 11th hour. This is that final change. 
I, I question whether there's any more room to, to wriggle around uh, changes to a Brexit agreement and still manage to exit nicely by the 29th of March. Have you been to uh, a Kabuki theatre show? I just ask. Um, no, you, you may or may I don't not. Think so. Right. So, so um, go to Kabuki Theatre in Tokyo next time you're over there, and it's fascinating. It's all ritualised and stylized, and they move and they sing and they do things. But everybody in the audience who is Japanese has seen this a million times, mm. and they understand that there is a ritual taking place here. And that's what I would say about this deadline. This is a notional deadline. I know that it's been marked down in the calendar for a very long time, but it can move. So you've it seen the script change. or this show before, so feel, to speak. I mean, look, mm. you know, um, an 11th hour dash to Strasbourg to win a last minute concession, and then we go to Parliament and the drama of. There certainly feels a little bit of. Uh, as though there's been a little bit of stage management around this. I mean, I'm not, not to say it's not serious, mm. because of course it's serious. Um, but you can move the timeline, if needs be, to make sure that everybody gets the right deal at this point. Would it be popular, though? I mean, we've all been discussing all week all the contingency arrangements around Brexit, trying to protect the cash flows of companies and ensure a smooth transition. Mm. Any form of extension, would that be quite unhelpful at this point for businesses that are already facing a little bit of extra stress and costs? Well, let's ask uh, Seth Carpenter. He's a US chief economist at uh, UBS. And Seth, I know you're primarily focused on the US, but I'm sure your clients in North America are very keen to understand how this process unfolds. How would they view an extension of the current um, timeline? Would that be taken badly, do you think, or positively? So I think it depends a bit on who you ask. There are definitely people who would say an extension at least is putting off a hard Brexit. An extension at least would be sort of delaying any, any bad outcome. And so initially people would have a bit of a, of a relief trade. On the other hand, I think the uncertainty is starting to weigh on people when people are trying to put on trades, trying to understand what's going on globally, either with interest rates or with FX. The uncertainty around Brexit, I think, is, is, is weighing on lots of people's sentiment. And then when it comes to European growth, uh, especially the Eurozone growth, we heard uh, Mario Draghi uh, uh, at his press conference very recently, extraordinarily dovish, extraordinarily accommodative. And part of that has to be uncertainty about the outcome here weighing on European growth. Um, Steve's rejoined us from uh, Westminster. Jump on in, Steve. Yes, Seth, I just want to reference the conversation that Jeff and Karen were just having. And, and, and Karen's, you know, and Jeff's great conversation about this is 11th hour, the European Union having blinked as well. Uh, do the Brexiteers push it further? Well, I think one thing we haven't mentioned is that many people say we're at the halfway house. So what I'm asking for you is that the future relationship negotiations, which everybody tells me could be even harder uh, than agreeing the exit deal. It's almost as if the markets are saying, if we get the exit deal and if Mrs May drags this over the line, which I think is still a very big if at this early stage uh, of Tuesday morning. Do people in the markets think the Brexit goes away as an issue or do they continue to look at the future relationship problem uh, and the torturous negotiations, which could be with a different prime minister and the European Commission? Does that become an issue for markets or actually is it getting the deal, the Brexit agreement, the withdrawal agreement? Is that the key for markets? Well, I think one of the key unavoidable aspects of markets is they tend to have a fairly short-term uh, horizon when they're thinking about how to trade things. So I think looking for some sort of near-term resolution between now and the 29th is going to be uh, first a bit of relief if there's some sort of certainty either by extending things for a, a definite period of time where they don't have to worry immediately about a hard Brexit or by getting true clarity about how things are going to turn out. So I think it's going to be a very incremental uh, process. 
Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.